Welcome to the Red List Distribution Download Podcast, where we're dedicated to bringing valuable insights around strategy and leadership for distributor sales reps and their associated staff in the fuels, lubricants, and chemicals industry. As you know, our podcast aims to shed light on the overlooked and often um, under un- misunderstood sector that keeps the world turning. And so we're really excited to have a very fun guest with us today, Stephen Davis. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it and uh, hopefully shed some light on uh, an industry that everybody seems to think is dying, but is far from it. So, No, that's, uh, that's exactly right. So, so Stephen, first we want to you know, we want to. I would like to kind of start with your background a little bit, kind of get our give our audience a chance to know you better. And I'd like to kind of hear about your kind of non traditional path into becoming a jobber, a fuel jobber. Okay. Well, as far as my background goes, I am a jack of all trades and a master of everything. Uh, most people <laughs> yeah. say they're a master of nothing. I'm a master of everything. And uh, unless you ask my wife, uh, my path uh, started very young, actually, uh, going back, watching reruns of Dallas back in the day. Um, oh, nice. I wanted, to be, I wanted to be, J- yeah, I wanted to be J.R. Ewing. I wanted to have, like, you know, the conscience and the heart of Bobby Ewing, but I didn't <laughs> want to be the goody-goody. I wanted to be J.R. I wanted to be a super shrewd oil and gas man early on, and... Uh, that always stuck with me, even though my career took a very different path over the years. Uh, I uh, did a lot of work in retail, worked my way up in a couple different companies. Uh, I Back in 2014, I very came very, very close to making it into energy. With uh, I had a job lined up with Kinder Morgan. I had interviewed, and it was uh, ready to go. I was going to start in one to three months just waiting on my start date, and uh, it kind of all fell through. So I uh, went back into retail and worked for a couple of different companies in a short time span in retail and worked in DSD. Uh, I worked with Frito, I worked with Cheerwine, and uh, had a couple of turbulent years, uh, just some real ups and downs, and uh, I saw a job posting for TriStar Energy, and at this point, I was a district merchandising manager with Quality Beverage Cheer One, and uh, I was responsible for merchandising operations at 150 grocery stores and Whoa. around 600 convenience stores. And uh, it was actually the job at TriStar was on the retail side for their twice daily stores, and I uh, applied for it. And then uh, the recruiter called me up at some point couple weeks later and said, hey, I know you applied for this. What do you think about wholesale uh, fuel? I said, well, let me look into it. Send me the job description. I did. I read through it and I was as confused as can be because (laughs) half of the stuff in the job description sounded like a retail district manager. And then the other half was talking about fuel supply contracts and negotiating those. And So I called up the recruiter and said, what is this job about? He said, well, you know, we want someone that to sell fuel to gas stations, but we want someone that knows the retail business really well and uh, or has sold stuff into uh, convenience stores that has that kind of background. And uh, that's one thing that TriStar was doing different was recruiting from that 
DSD retail background because their theory was we'll teach you fuel cells, but we want someone that knows how to talk to people that buy gas. And uh, that was my way in and I went in and never looked back. That's great. Now, uh, tell me just kind of for our audience, tell us what does DSD stand for? Uh, direct store delivery. Uh, best way to put it is companies like Coke, Pepsi, Frito-Lay, um, any product that comes to a grocery or convenience store that's not delivered on that company's truck. Like you have a Coke vendor and a Coke rep, Pepsi, Frito-Lay, uh, Little Debbie often, and Hostess, a lot of that kind of stuff. McKee Baking all comes in DSD through a, a sales rep. Nice. And they deliver it, check it in, stock it in the stores for the stores. Okay, so you had a chance to see lots of different types of distribution. Then, tell me what was bit. like. What was like the. First of all, what do you miss from the DSD side? What do you miss from, I mean, you started saying Twinkies though, and I was, oh, you had me there, but tell me what, what do you miss from that side of, of distribution? Well, really not much to be perfectly honest <laughs> with you. I, okay. I, I really like working in the energy industry in some capacity, but I'd say the one thing I missed the most was, uh, I supervised a lot bigger team of people and I like that people management aspect. And I know most people that come from DSD management or retail management, they get out of it. Most of them say, oh my God, I never want to manage people again. It's awful. I hate it, but I actually love mm -hmm. that part of it. So you've been, you did, they put you more on the business side then. So you had, you went from managing lots of people, now you're small, but they have you involved in the, the business, the business side. So that, yeah. Uh, that's the transition. Yeah, a little bit sure. of the business side and a uh, lot of it, a lot of the sales side, a lot of uh, travel, a lot of meeting with people, negotiating. My wife says I go around and just BS with people and wine and dine them to buy from us, but a little more to it than that. No, that is great. So as far as, so what's your favorite part now? So like you, so you've come over from that side of distribution. Now you're into really big fuel sales what what's your favorite part about what you do today i'd say the best part about it is the change of scenery i uh me i spend most of my time i got a fairly nice office i got it decorated very nice i never see the inside of my office i uh i'm always on the road and when i'm not on the road i'm usually working from a starbucks or uh, a white vice and coffee shop or working from my kitchen table but i always have a change of scenery always meeting new people, always going new places. And that's something that I really, you don't really have a lot in retail unless you're, you know, traveling to a bunch of different stores, but it's usually the same stores over and over again. And uh, I mean, I could be in Alabama one day, Tennessee another, Kentucky, Ohio, Missouri, Indiana, just wherever the wind takes me. So I love that change of scenery, the travel, the meeting new people. Nice. So you, so with all that travel going on, you obviously have a lot of time in your mobile university there. What do you do? What do you do to like, where, what's your go-to listening while you are traveling and stuff like that? Right now, my go-to is audiobooks or, uh, 
most recently, actually, I just go on YouTube and load up a bunch of stuff in my playlist, put it on autoplay and just listen to documentaries, documentaries or podcasts while I'm on the road driving. Well, you're going to be listening to the distribution download, of course, when that, uh, as this gets distributed. (laughs) But I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I remember early on in my career, I met a very successful person who kind of said that if you get a chance and you're ever behind the wheel and you can listen to some and you can listen to something that you should and uh, i guess my question is of all the different things that you've done what do you think's influenced you to be the most successful of the things you've listened to while you're driving it's hard to pinpoint one thing it's kind of like for me i think it's kind of uh two things and uh and I've heard the same advice from several different sources, so it's hard to pinpoint the exact one. But uh, when you look at some of the most successful people out there, they spent lots of time reading. And, you know, the 21st century version of that is audiobooks or podcasts or documentaries. So I'm always trying to learn something new. And even if I don't use it right away, I'm always trying to educate myself and because uh, I can always find some situation where I can bring that up and use it. I mean, it could be something from the news that affects my industry and it can come up later talking to a customer or it could be just some little obscure bit of information about my own job that you don't think is important, but eventually you'll find a use for it. So learning as much as you can constantly and using that travel time to do that, I think is really important. And the second thing, is probably just and i've heard this from several sources as well is just be persistent annoyingly persistent um whenever you find a good opportunity or a good offer or a good deal or like a good prospect for a customer just stay persistent on them i mean i got uh i have and i make lots of contacts even in other industries or other industries that support your industry because I go to trade shows from convenience stores and I'm not, you know, I'm in the wholesale business, but wholesale fuel, I don't do wholesale snack cakes or anything like that, but I meet all those people and uh, I keep tabs and keep up with everybody I meet. I mean, uh, one person from another company uh, met a another jobber that was said that they might be retiring soon. And I got that contact through uh, a friend that I met at a trade show and I hounded and called that guy twice a week for four weeks and then showed up at his office unannounced and sat there in his lobby for three hours waiting for him to get out of a meeting. And first thing he said was, you're really persistent. You're like a bloodhound. And I said, thank you. I take that as the highest compliment. So uh, <laughs> here you might be retiring or you're interested in selling your company. He said, well, you know, that was kind of a comment I made on a cruise and I don't know how it got all the way to you, but you know, uh, he said, uh, you know, I do want to do that, but not this year, uh, maybe in a year or two. I said, well, here's my card and call me as soon as you're ready. At least, you know, I'm serious. So that is awesome. So you're kind of you're looking out, uh, you're looking everywhere. You're saying in addition to to just your books and your podcasts, it's it's just keeping an open heart and open eyes 
I guess an open an open eye of the industry, just looking for anything you can connect. You may not know how it connects today, but it's going to connect eventually. It's kind of what you're saying. Pretty much. And I mean, always be on the lookout for that opportunity. And when you see something that might be good, I mean, you're going to come across stuff that's, uh, you know, prospects that aren't that great. And you follow up on them. But when you find something that's a really big thing, just be persistent annoyingly so if you have to and just chase it down always be hunting so so tell us a little bit uh tell us a little bit about your industry we want to learn we want to connect some dots here so tell us about you know the kind of this extremely important industry that uh people don't really understand i mean you mentioned it was confusing to you the first time but tell us what you've dug into what are some of the big ahas that's come out from being a field driver well, the funny thing is, most people don't really understand where their gasoline comes from. I mean, most people have some vague idea that it comes from crude oil, but beyond that, you know, they think that's all they ever think about, and uh, they just know they go to the gas station, put the pump handle in their car, and there it is, and they don't realize that, you know, they see a Shell station, they think all those are owned by Shell, or they see an Exxon, they think that's all Exxon and same for BP and Phillips 66. And that's not really the case that uh, most of these gas stations that are branded with the name of a major oil refiner is uh, independent sites um, that just have a single person or a group of people that own them. And they don't realize that, you know, Shell, Exxon, all of those will brand the site, you know, in exchange for selling their gas and uh, what they don't realize is the refiner's main concern is getting their fuel sold pre-selling it um, so you know they have 100 sites that are branded in this area that is and they're contracted to do you know 50,000 gallons a month each plus 100 times 50,000 I mean that's like good bit like 50 million gallons or something i'm terrible at masks don't quote me um but that's, that's a, lot, a heck of a lot of gas yeah that's a heck of a lot of gas that they know that is sold and they have contracted for 10 years or however long it is um and you know when people see you know a lot of company stores that are unbranded gas they see love islet uh, qt speedway murphy um you know they don't know what the difference between that and branded gas is and whatnot. Um, because, you know, when you look at most of the retail chains, the QTs, the Bucky's, Loves, all that, that's unbranded gas. And uh, most people don't know that. And they just say, oh, that's QT branded gas. No, that's unbranded gas, same unbranded gas as JT's bait shop down the road. So. No, that's just, that's amazing. I remember the first time uh, I spent some time on the lubricant side, and it really does, it's always kind of shocking when you see an oil major doesn't care what lube they use in, for their own facilities, you know. And uh, it's kind of like shocking sometimes because we as consumers are trained to like think that that brand is everything and then realize it's, there's a lot of it's just this commodity piece that just kind of moves back and forth. And I mean, one of the things that people, oh, oh go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go for it, Steve. I was going to say, one of the things people ask me all the time is, what's better, you know? What's the best gasoline to buy for your car or 
diesel. And uh, I can never give a short answer to that question between branded and unbranded gas. So the long answer is depends on how long you want to keep the car. Um, you know, on my wife's car, we run exclusively, and this is not just because my company is one third owned by Shell, but we run uh, almost exclusively, you know, Shell 93 V Power Nitro Plus because, you know, the uh, branded fuels and particularly the branded premiums have a lot more detergents in them to keep mm. the engine clean. And me, my wife, we drive a vehicle until the wheels fall off of it. So we look at it as, you know, I would say cheap insurance against major engine repairs, but I mean, fuel's not cheap anymore. So, <laughs> uh, but if you trade a car like every two years, just put the cheapest stuff in you can. It just doesn't matter, is what you're saying at that point. It, yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you buy a brand new car and you're running, you know, the cheapest gas you can, if you bought two brand new cars, you ran the best gas in one, the cheapest in the other. Um, for a brand new car, it's not going to make any difference. After 100,000 miles, it starts to make a difference because, you know, the dirtier the engine gets, the worse your fuel economy and power and performance is. But no, I think that's, uh, you know, I think everybody who's out there filling up their gas tank is just always kind of wondered, should I just use the, the cheaper fuel? And you're saying that if you're planning on swapping your car out, it doesn't really make a difference. If you're going to ride that thing till the wheels are off, though, then go ahead and pay for the premium insurance is what you're saying. Absolutely. No, that's great. Uh, so I guess another question would be just like with what you're seeing in this industry uh what are your thoughts like you got a lot there's a lot of pressure on your industry because you know gasoline is bad diesel is bad i mean you see a lot of the different things that go on there's a tremendous amount of pressure um from mainstream to kind of get everything electric right away i know there's a lot of questions that come up about that but what are the kind of the trends that you're seeing what are the changes that you're seeing and and what do we expect what should we expect to see here in the near future well uh lots of things and really some of those changes are the big factors of, that are shifting things in the industry i mean when i first uh accepted this job offer and before i moved to tennessee to take the job i had some friends say is that a smart move? I mean, aren't EVs the future, you know, shouldn't, why do you want to go and sell gasoline? And, uh, you know, uh, I'm very optimistic about fossil fuels and I think they'll be around for a while longer. Uh, just because of several reasons. One, yes, uh, EV use is increasing, but there's uh, a lot of infrastructure that has to be put in. And I still think we're a couple of decades away from that. And there's a lot of other issues. I mean, uh, I think the current administration says something like they want a charging station every 100 miles of interstate. And if you go out west in some of these plain states, there's not even power that runs parallel to the interstate every 100 miles. And uh, not to mention a good chunk of the population lives in apartment buildings. And are we just going to put a charging station at every single street parking spot or in every parking garage and who's gonna pay for that. Um, not to mention if everybody switched to EVs overnight, our power grid really doesn't have the capacity to support that. We can't generate that much electricity without just constant brownouts and blackouts. So 
we still got a while and a good chunk of the population doesn't want to switch to EVs. And I kind of fall into this category and not to sound all conspiracy theorists, but you know, as long as I have gas in the tank, I can go somewhere. But if the power goes out, you can't charge a car, you're done for. You're stuck. So, and I mean, I've talked to a lot of people, and that seems to be the consensus with a lot of America, especially middle America, rural America. Uh, it's a little bit different in bigger cities, of course. Uh, they're more pro-EV, but uh, it just really depends on where you're at. Um, some of the other changes are, you know, I know Elon Musk says, you know, the world's in population decline, but the population still technically is still growing. And uh, there's a lot of demand for fuel, not just in the U.S., but especially in the developing world. And the two things that fuel population growth and industrialization are natural gas and diesel. I mean, diesel is important. I mean, I know that Tesla's got the Cybertruck, but there really isn't a good replacement for 18-wheelers in the U.S. because that's ready and mature for market. And not to mention, you know, drivers don't want to sit and charge for three hours when they could just stop and fill up in 10 minutes. So diesel is alone is just a huge driver for the demand for fuel and uh amazon is not uh slowed down their deliveries uh walmart hasn't um and especially with e-commerce with uh that's really increased fuel demand quite a bit i mean going back to covid um so that's a big driver of it and uh really that trend is continuing to grow because even with EVs getting adopted more and more, we keep seeing more and more fuel cells and growing demand. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I drive a diesel and a gasoline car in my family. And I got to tell you, it's, it was, uh, it was pretty rough to see that diesel prices were reaching $6 a gallon and yeah. I could still get gas for like three seventy-five. And I was like, man, there's no way the savings is, quite there what's 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 interesting to me uh and again of course I, mine's more of a, like a family usage right so we have one of those spinter vans and uh but what's interesting to me is like i think a lot of people and you can maybe correct me on this Stephen, but i i understand that gasoline was originally kind of a kind of an unstable byproduct when they were making kerosene so they were making yes. heating oil and they're like holy crap what do we do with all this gasoline because it keeps burning it keeps exploding in our factories we got to find a way to find a safe way to burn this particular fuel so one of my questions that comes up and uh i did ask chat gpt this question and it did not give me a good answer i thought so i'm going to ask you now what happens if if we do move to ev and all of a sudden people aren't consuming as much gasoline what in the world is going to happen with all that gasoline? Because we still use the heating oil. That's part of the reason diesel's up so high is we still use it as a heating oil backup. So tell me, what is it? Uh, what's the future look like for that? Well, a uh, little bit of history required to answer that one. I know, uh, and I learned this from the Men the Built America documentary forever ago on History Channel. You know, gasoline originally was the byproduct of the kerosene, and they burned some of it to keep their uh, refinery running. but uh, nowadays, kerosene use is not 
as big as it used to be. And I've seen, you know, in the fuel business, declining kerosene sales to the point where if I have a customer that says, hey, can you get us a kerosene tank and a pump for it? I tell them no, just because if you don't already have it on site, it's not worth it to put it in. Uh, it's a great margin item. Gas stations make a lot of money selling kerosene, and we make a lot of margin off of it. But it's one of those things that the demand for it is so low, you don't sell that much of it. So it's not really worth the investment. And because of that, I mean, yeah, you can get gasoline as a byproduct of making kerosene, but there's way more gasoline produced than kerosene. So, I mean, we refine gasoline separately now. Uh, from kerosene, and uh, I'm not an expert on the refining process, but kerosene might even be a byproduct of gas produ production now. So uh, if uh, gasoline production really had to have a huge drop, they would just shift to production of other petrochemicals, uh, more towards diesel, uh, jet fuel, uh, the chemicals involved in plastics and other lubricants, and because uh, plastic doesn't seem demand doesn't seem to be dying anytime soon. So, no, it's interesting. You definitely see. Um, I would say probably ninety nine percent of the people that are out there uh, protesting against petrochemical industry are wearing petrochemicals on their body while they protest. So, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, just about everything has some kind of petrochemicals in it. I mean. Uh, even if you build a house entirely out of wood, I mean, uh, the furniture polish, the uh, varnishes, the stains, uh, just about everything has some kind of petrochemical in it. So it's one of those things that you'll never completely get rid of. And so uh, that's a good factor for it. And I mean, it's uh, going to be around for a while, but one of the big shifts right now is... Uh, and it's partially influenced by the EVs, but also uh, influenced a lot by the retail side. Is uh, one thing is a lot of these uh, small local convenience store chains are owned by fuel jobbers, and uh, you know because they said we sell fuel, let's open up some gas stations and we can sell our fuel in too. And uh, there's a lot of consolidation of those now, and. As you know, uh, Bucky's is building stores like crazy now. They just opened one in Tennessee. They're building uh, like three more right now here in Tennessee. Uh, the one that I think we're, we're hoping they bring some to Utah, just so you know. So if Bucky's is listening to this anywhere, we're ripe. Yeah, like Keep going. Like the the one they're going to build on exit 407 on I 40 in Tennessee is going to be the new flagship store, and it's like seventy thousand something square feet. I mean, that's like a decent sized grocery store. Uh, wow. And QT is building stores like crazy all over the place. Uh, I think Love's announced like a $1.1 billion investment into their existing stores. Is the retail side of the gas station business is growing so much. And that's kind of in a way since squeezing out some of the little independent gas station operators. And uh, I'm kind of seeing a shift with uh, a lot of jobbers are building and opening up their own convenience store chains and their own company stores so that they have a uh, market for their fuel that's ready and there to compete with some of these other bigger companies because, uh, you know, if the little guys you sell fuel to are getting 
squeezed by, you know, uh, QTs because QT builds really nice stores. They're really well run generally. And uh, we all know Bucky's is over the top. And uh, if a Bucky's opens up near you, you might as well just shut it down right then. So, uh, or put it up for sale as soon as you hear it, just because Bucky's is a really good organization and they run a really good store. And it's squeezing the independents out. So, I mean, a lot of field companies are, we're just building retail sites that are our own chains to compete with this. That way we still have a market for fuel. And, uh, and it's not just Tristar, pretty much every uh, jobber of any size is doing that. Uh, I know of uh, several, there's one uh, I heard about in out West that's uh, a jobber that primarily does a lot of commercial supplies, a lot of fuel to some of the oil companies. And they're starting to build truck stops and gas stations and a lot of other companies are doing it. Um, you have uh, Empire, which is now GPM Investments. They have a huge retail side with lots of company stores, but they're also a fuel wholesaler. And that's one of the big shifts in the industry that we're seeing. Uh, Private individuals are not building gas stations very much anymore, and you're really seeing sort of the rise of the uh, retail chain with more and more consolidation in that sphere. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I wonder about how that applies to a lot of people on the industrial side. Do you see very many jobbers that also have like an industrial side to their business, or do they, if they're going to open convenience stores, do they pretty much just focus on the retail side well actually yes the customer uh, i guess the consumer facing retail side because i mean there's also a push i don't i wouldn't say it's as big as you know building their own retail chains like we have the twice daily but there does seem to be at least from my observations uh a push to grow commercial businesses and you know supply farms marinas uh, airports uh landscaping companies uh real push for fleet cards for small businesses mm. and just to diversify our holdings and uh you know give you a little more diversification away from independent gas stations so that's really big and growing part of the business. And uh, you also have uh, a lot of companies now that are doing more and more rack sales to other fuel wholesalers. So, Do you see anybody kind of marrying those parts of the business where they're out there and they're working with their commercial side and saying, hey, by the way, we'll give you guys a 10% discount at our, at our twice daily if you want to come. Have you seen anybody do that yet? Have you seen that those two worlds converge? Uh, a little bit, and it might not be exactly what you're thinking, but I mean, uh, we do pack pride, uh, fuel man, pack pride, fleet cards. And, uh, you know, if you use those fleet cards at our consignment sites or our retail sites, we have discounts built in for fleet card users at our company stores. So, I mean, mm. um, that's a, a real incentive that we use for that. Uh, that's not my primary area, but I've sold a few of them. So, uh, and that's a good little way to say, hey, you know, we can get you, uh, you know, X off so many cent off a gallon if uh, you buy our fleet cards and you fill up over here in our company stores. So, no, that that makes sense. That makes sense. So, okay, so as we're kind of we're getting close here, kind of uh, gonna get close to wrapping up. I. You're on the 
really you kind of you got the, your ear to the tracks right there with the customers you're out uh kind of on the front lines what what's maybe what do you expect would be something we'll see that would really affect the marketplace in the next maybe do you see anything happening in the next 12 months or 18 months something in the near future you're like oh man this is coming guys pucker up uh absolutely and it's already started i mean uh i'm in a uh most of my customers are in the tennessee area but i got some in a couple other states and especially here in middle tennessee we're a very fuel constrained area because of where the nashville terminals are on uh they're on a spur line off the main pipeline and uh we only get fuel on barges from marathon that's the only brand that brings any fuel into their terminals by barge but it's uh you know recent you know back in november opec announced their uh uh production cuts and then they announced another production cut and uh depending on who you ask we'll still have a slight global surplus but I heard that from one outlet, but virtually every other outlet and uh, every call or story I've read on that is uh, basically, I mean, demand is not cooling off. And I mean, especially with China easing their zero COVID restrictions and easing their lockdowns. I mean, that demand is just growing, growing, growing. And with OPEC just announced that latest production cut, that really puts the world at a deficit as far as supply and, uh, you know, with the boycotts of the Russian oil on the market, uh, that's not helping anything. So that's uh, going to be a big driver of price and supply. And one of the problems is with the U.S., we're really vulnerable right now more so than in the past to supply disruptions. Um, and, you know, anytime there's not enough supply to meet demand, price is going to go up and uh, any natural disasters will affect that. I mean, all it takes is a hurricane hitting the Gulf Coast refineries and shut them down. If uh, the refineries get shut down properly, they can have them back online pretty quick. But if they lose power, it could be a two week process to get everything back up and running and up to a month to have full production capacity back online and that's not counting uh pipeline issues or so-called hackers shutting down pipelines and like we had last year and uh and so if i'm uh, hearing what really you're saying big. you're saying you predict we're going to have some fuel shortages and higher prices in our gasoline that's your prediction i'll say this it won't be a consistent one unless uh we end up in a drug into a world war or something but it's going to be a roller coaster i believe in the next 12 months and it kind of has been really a roller coaster for the last two years in a lot of ways on the fuel market hit going up and down uh in the last two years but i expect that to definitely continue and i can't say it'll be worse than it was in the past two years but it's a little too early to tell but we're going to have some uh real spikes in the price, especially as summer approaches and no, hurricane that, season. Boy, you know, I always, uh, the good thing is I always forget about hurricane season until it's upon us. And then I'm like, oh, dang, here it is again. I don't know. Otherwise, I'd be in constant fear, it seems like, all the time. Because 
that 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 does hit us pretty heavy here on the east coast they seem to be uh, getting bigger so yeah and everyone thinks the hurricanes you know the only worry is them hitting you know damaging a pipeline or a refinery but uh, hurricanes also disrupt uh tankers ocean travel mm-hmm. and bringing fuel in from abroad um and uh one of the things about fuel supply is i mean we've the U.S. has really cut our production back the last couple of years, so we're having to import more and more at higher prices. So because of that, you know, the fuel's got to get here somehow, and it comes in on fuel tankers, and hurricanes really disrupt that ocean trade, and uh, just as much as any other thing can. So uh, that's a big thing, and I mean, any other natural disaster, uh, could hurt things. I mean, an earthquake could take out a pipeline or refinery or terminal. So uh, it's a very precarious situation. I think the fuel supply can do. So that's uh, one thing that is really important for customers to get good, consistent, contracted supply right now. Hmm. I'm almost hearing you say too, like if you're working with customers, and you're queuing into these type of leading indicators, then it's it's probably a good thing to let your customers queue into them as well, right? And say, hey, guess what? We got some, see these hurricanes just happened? This is gonna affect us in three months or whatever. So maybe buy up some extra today and you can kind of, you know, handle it. Uh, uh, absolutely. And I mean, one good thing about this is, I mean, these are all bad things, but one good thing about that is, you know, you can talk about the things that have affected fuel supply and just recent years and say, hey, this is going to happen. This is coming up. Or what if this happens? You know, you're a, a fair weather customer. You don't have contracted supply. You know, that's one thing I'd, I'd say to other people in my field is you can use these uh, supply interruptions to your advantage to get a fair weather customer into a loyal customer and really get them under contract to have a uh, have them buying fuel from you more consistently because you know that puts them higher up in supply list because um i mean you have everything from you know big customers that just get fuel prices daily from you and maybe two three four other companies and they're buying from whoever's cheapest that day but uh whoever is cheapest on any given day you're going to be put at the bottom of your suppliers list when it comes to a supply shortage or the terminal runs out of fuel. Mm, no, that's, that's a solid point. No, I like it, Steve. This is a lot of a lot of good stuff to chew on here. And uh, hey, we really appreciate your insights and you taking the time to join us today. Want to just shout out to our audience. Just be sure to subscribe, like, share, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts. And if you have any questions for Stephen, let's that would pass them along. Uh, again, Stephen, thank you for joining us. Pleasure, today. pleasure. I enjoyed it, and love to come back on uh, anytime in the future. So, absolutely, thank you. So, until next time, this is John Keller signing off from the Distribution Download Podcast. Thanks so much. Have a good day.